1 Peter chapter 4, if you'll find that, let's stand together please for the reading of the text. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that is suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past, our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles talking about our past life, when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. And we're going to read some more, but just notice in verse 2 and 3, two references to time. Verse 2, he talks about the way we live the rest, the rest of his time. That's the future, the time we have left. Verse 3 talks about our past life, for the time past. Of our life. And so that's kind of let you know what the lesson message is going to be about tonight. Verse 4 says, Wherein they think it strange, talking about the lost people, the Gentiles, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, critical, because you don't do the same things you ought to do or used to do, excuse me. Verse 5 Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? All of us will face judgment. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you again tonight for the opportunity to be in this place, to be with these people, to have our Bible open, to sing wonderful songs of praise to you and about you. We want you to have your way in our life, not just in this service, but in the days ahead. We want you to have your way in our lives, individually and corporately. We pray you'd have your way tonight as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we said, uh, we're going to look at this, really the phrase that's found in verse 2, the rest of his time. And that's really what I want to just really keep coming back to. And that is the subject of the rest of our time. Now, um, 
Peter writing makes a division really about the span of our lives. And he says in verse 2 that you no longer should live the rest of his time. That's the time we have remaining and how we should live that. But he also talks about our past life in verse 3 for the time past of our life. Now I want us to spend most of our time thinking about the rest of our life. Which by the way, that's that's the part of our life that God wants us to give our focus to. Not just the past but what lies ahead of us and how, how we're going to live the rest of our life. And really, I think this, this message is really about the stewardship of our time, the stewardship of our lives and how we intend to live it. And, uh, but we also have to think a little bit about our past life because that's a part of who we are. So let's begin with that and think about our past life. That's not another life. That's the earlier part of this life, just to be clear about that. In verse 3, it says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness and lusts and excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. So he's talking about our past life, the life prior to this, to this moment. And, and really, I think you could take your past, I could take my past life, and I could divide that into two sections. And that would be the, the, the life that I lived before I knew the Lord, and that's primarily what Peter's writing about. The life that you lived prior to your conversion. And that was a life filled with sin. It tells, says in verse 2 that we no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men but to the will of God. That's the way, that summarized our life before salvation. We lived according to the lusts of men, carnal desires, carnal inclinations, carnal lifestyles, carnal relationships, and that's the way we lived. We were governed, verse 3 says, by the will of the Gentiles. That's the the world. The, The ways of the world governed our lives. That pretty well describes the way it was before we would, were converted no matter what age it was that you were converted. But, but notice the, the contrast here when he says in verse 3, you did live according to the will of the Gentiles, right in the middle of verse 3. But the last part of verse 2 says, we're now to live according to the will of God. Not the will of the Gentiles, but we're to live according to the will of God, what God has in mind for us. So this life that we lived before we converted was a wicked, evil life. We were against God, against the things of God. And I don't, I don't know how you see that about yourself. I didn't get saved until I was an adult. It's very clear, very vivid to me how really ungodly I was. But even, the, even children have a corrupt nature. They really need to be born again. And so any of us ought to be able to see where we came from. And that's really a part of our past life. But, but technically, it's also true that everything prior to this moment was my past life. What I did earlier today was my past life. And when I get home tonight, what I'm doing right now will be my past life. So you could look at your past as one second ago, and you could look at your past also in the context about before you came to know the Lord. And I think it's really good to think about life, the increments of life, and how we, how we view our life. Because every moment is an opportunity to make a new start. 
in life. I think a lot of times people get bogged down in their past. They get bogged down in their mistakes. They're filled with regret. and We have regret for mistakes that we've made. But the good thing about grace is you can start over any time you'll come to God with a repentant heart. You know, um, it was not, this was not coined, I don't really believe, by a, a true Christian organization. It's one of the, ain't really the old, old uh, drug treatment programs. But they coined this phrase that I like. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And I think I, I embrace that, that theory, really, or that philosophy. Every day is an opportunity to make the rest of our life more according to God's will than it has been. Does that make sense to you? And I think we ought to cherish that. And I think we ought to embrace that because that's what grace does. Thinking about our past life, though, we're limited. And I think it's worth talking about this for just a moment. We're limited in what we can do about our past. What can, we, what can I do about yesterday? What can I do about mistakes I made as a teenager? What can I do about the, the, the bad behavior of my life? What could I even do about moments that I make bad decisions in the last 24 hours or 48 hours? What can I do about that? And we're limiting what we can do. And I just want to kind of mention this because I think it merits it. Number one, we ought to learn from our mistakes. We don't have to keep making the same mistakes. You know, we can learn from our mistakes. Second of all, we need the assurance that our past failures have been completely forgiven. You know, we don't have to keep wondering and worrying and carrying the regret and the, of all the things we've done in the past. We can, we can learn from it, yes, but we can be completely forgiven of our past. And thirdly, where we've been wrong, we can make wrongs right sometimes. We, there are things that we've done, mistakes we've made, that we can actually do things to to make those things right. And we ought to do those things to make those things right. I was thinking about, I, I read a missionary letter just a couple of days ago, or a few days ago, and um, it was from our missionary Scott Kuzel in South Africa. And he was talking about a man, I'm just going to kind of summarize this as I look at the notes here, but he, he's talked about a man that he met two years ago who was living with his single mother. He had two younger brothers, and, and he was, he was uh, laden with the responsibility of being a breadwinner for his family. And, um, and so he, he get, this guy gets converted, and, and he finds himself under the burden of trying to provide for his family. And in, in only his own words, he found himself withholding his tithe to buy groceries because he felt like he had a responsibility to do. Well, just this past uh, spring, uh, they had their Bible camp. They do it every year. And while listening to the preaching, this young man, the Spirit of God got a hold of this young man because he, about his lack of faith. Like he quit obeying God because he had this burden to take care of his family. And these are the words of uh, Pastor or Missionary Kuzli said, convicted... Our brother repented and committed himself to repay God of all tithes that he was in arrears. In other words, he, he was so convicted about his unbelief, his disobedience, he said, I'm going I'm to repay all these tithes that I should have given all along. And, by, and he says there in the future, next month or so, he's going to be able to clear up this offense. The point I want to make is this. Sometimes we, we make bad decisions. We need to confess them, make them right. But sometimes we need to make them right with other people. 
you know, you've heard me tell about that in my own life. I've written letters. I've written letters to people after I got saved to, to acknowledge and ask forgiveness for things I did when I was lost. I was my behavior, my attitude, my disrespect. Now, I want, I'm not just up here filling time preaching. This is, this is important stuff. What can we do about our past? We can confess it as sin. We can be forgiven by God of that offense. But we also maybe need to go and make it right with some other person and, and, uh, and then get it behind us. So, so we need to think a little bit about our past. And, we, and, then, and then I want to say we want to distance ourselves from our past. You know, I've, I've often talked to people who are trying to quit some habit, maybe it's a smoking habit or some other addiction, to have this philosophy that every day that you free yourself from that habit, it may be looking at things you shouldn't look at or conversations you shouldn't have. Every day that you put between you and that, you're distancing yourself from your past. And so it may look like a really big deal today, and it is. You can say, well, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't been listening to that wicked music, let's say, for a week now. And you say, man, that's a really accomplishment. Well, praise God for that. But if you stay after it, you can say, I haven't listened to it for a month or for a year or for five years or for 20 years. I'm just saying we ought to always be distancing ourselves from the lifestyle that we lived in the past. And so, so here Peter writes about this in verse Two, he says that we should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought these things. And so that's the way we lived our past. But verse 2 says, how are we going to live the rest of our time? And you know, you could make a decision tonight uh, to say, you know, I keep hearing about the importance of reading my Bible every day. I keep hearing about my importance of having a devotional time every day and and, uh, you know, I'll start and I'll stop and I'll start and I'll stop, whatever the case may be. And you, it may not be that for you, but it may be something. But tonight could be the beginning of a new chapter in your life. And we're the one that decides that. I'm telling you, the grace of God is available to help us make the right decisions, but we have to be on board. And so, so how are we going to live the rest of our time? And as I said earlier, this is about the stewardship of our lives. I, I believe that everybody ought to be aware of the value of time, even young people. But I have to admit, I think you would acknowledge this, that sometimes the younger a person is, the less they're inclined to think about the value of their time because they feel like they have so much time left to live. And I can tell you, for me, um, I keep having birthdays. You know, most of you here, I think, can identify with that. The older I live, the more conscious I am of how I'm going to live the rest of my life. Because the rest of my life is getting shorter and shorter. Are you with me? How am I going to live the rest of my life? How am I going to, how am I going to spend the rest of my days? And, and really the stewardship, the stewardship of our life requires that we not just think in large general blocks of time because if you if you intend one of these days to really make some wise spiritual decisions there's a good chance you're never going to make them today is the day now is the accepted time today is the day of salvation i want you to hold your finger here in first peter and go with me to the book of psalms and nearly everyone here will probably be familiar with this psalm. 
But I want to I read it because it speaks to this subject of our time, how we use our time. Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses. As a matter of fact, the title of it is A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. Psalm 90, and let's just look in verse 10, where the Bible says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, eighty years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. It's talking about the brevity of life. Now again, Someone is sitting here tonight, this five or six or 11, you know, to them, life is not brief. They had their whole lifetime ahead of us. But for a few of us who've been around the block a few times, we say life is brief. It's really not all that long. And so what does he say to the, about that? Look in verse 12. So because of this, this is a prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You see, one of the ways that we learn to make wise decisions is by respecting the value of time. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to, teach us to discipline our lives and our time so that we might, according to this passage, apply our hearts unto wisdom. You know, because... If you think like this, you know, you think about doing something with your life and you think, you know, I want to do this, but I don't really know that it's a priority to do it now. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just not do that today. It may be something you like to do or want to do, but if you realize, you know what that's doing, that's using wisdom and discretion and discernment and discipline and structure about your life. I want to make sure what I'm doing with my life matters. I want to make sure that it matters. And so we ought to be careful, not care less. When I was unsaved in the younger years of my life, before I came to know the Lord, I was very careless about my life. As many of us, you could testify to the same thing. Now I want to be more careful. Not fearful, but just careless about, or careful about the way we use our time. And I think the older we are, the more that seems to matter. Now, if you're in Psalms, go to the right a little bit to Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 38. We'll get back to 1 Peter in a moment. Isaiah chapter 38. And this will be a, an event that you're aware of about Hezekiah, how he was sick unto death. Isaiah 38.1. And let's just follow along as I read. It says, In those days, Isaiah's writing, In those days was Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, So here's the prophet, the preacher, making a hospital call. He came unto him and said, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine hand in order, excuse me, set thy house in order, for thou shalt die, not live. Now that's a very, very direct message, very sobering message. Set your house in order, you're going to die and not live. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, there's, here's a part of Hezekiah's prayer, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, 
how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore, weeping, sobbing. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go back, go, and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. Now we can read more of this, but just think about this for a moment. You know, if, if I were to say to one of these girls up here, you're going to have 15 more years to live. That doesn't sound like a lot to them, right? You say to me, you're, I can guarantee you're going to have 15 more years. I'd say that's pretty precious, right? 15 more years to live. And what are you going to do with that? What are you going to, how are you going to live that 15 years? There's a phrase I want to call your attention to in verse uh, 15. What shall I say? Isaiah is speaking. What shall I say? He hath both, he's talking about God. He hath both spoken unto me and himself hath done it. Notice this next sentence. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. I shall go softly all of my years. What that says to me is I'm going to be very careful. I've been given a gift of 15 years. And I'm going to be very careful for how I use the time. I'm going to go softly. That same phrase is found in 1 Kings 21, and we're not going to turn to that. And that's the wickedest king, one of the wickedest kings ever lived, Ahab. And, and he had been given a gift, really, of time and forgiveness. He said the same thing. I'm going to go softly. I'm going to make wise decisions. So here's, here's the question. Think about this. I just want to really get us focused on this for a few minutes tonight. How would you live if you knew your days were numbered? Would you live any differently? If, you, if for instance, now you're going to have to use your, my, mama used to say use your noggin. You're going to have to think about this. You're going to have to, what if you only had five, five years to live? Would you live any differently than you are now? What if you, had, what if you only had five days to live? Would you live any differently and I think most of us, if we'd be honest with ourselves, we'd say, you know, I'd, if I knew I was going to stand before God in five days, there are a lot of things in my life that I would change. There's some things that I've been doing that I definitely would not do. There are things I've been neglecting that I would find time for. It might be that you'd call somebody and say, look, I need to make something right. It might be that you'd say, I've got a neighbor that I keep thinking I need to witness to but I haven't done it. You, all I'm saying is time, the awareness of time, the stewardship of time can greatly affect the decisions we make. And many re, the, one of the primary reasons we often neglect doing something we know we should do is because we feel like we're always going to have time for it. So when Isaiah learned that he had 15 years, or that Hezekiah learned from Isaiah that he had 15 years, he said, I'm going to go softly. I probably shared this with y'all before, um, and forgive me if I have, but I had this conversation with my brother-in-law who passed away a few weeks ago, sitting in his living room one day, and he was um, very regretful about the way he had been living his life. And by the way, 
I think there are a lot of people that if they were where he was, knowing he could be days or weeks away from eternity, away from facing God, would be thinking, man, I wish I'd have found time to go visiting. I wish I'd have been more faithful as a steward. I wish I, w- I would have been more open to serving God. And all these things that we don't have time for or other things creep in, all of a sudden these things become important and they become vitally important to him. So I said, so I told him of the story just sitting there. I didn't open my Bible up, I don't think, but I just told him the story about Hezekiah and how Isaiah visited him. And I said, Mike, I don't know how long you're going to be around. But I said, I know this, if I was in your, if I was in your place today, I would make a commitment that by the grace of God, I'm going to live every day like it's my last. And you know what? You don't have to wait till you're there to live like that. You can start living like that now. I want to go softly all my days. So how are we? Let's go back to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. How are we to live the rest of our time? And I'm going to kind of bring the context together, if I could, and then just briefly give you some things from our text that I think could be helpful if you're, if you're so inclined. You could look at it later. But First Peter chapter 4 and verse 2, Peter says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men. So we're not to live in the flesh. We're not to live in the flesh to the lusts of men But he gives us as an example of that what Jesus did. Look in verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So Peter's referring to the death of Christ. How, you know, Jesus suffered for us in the flesh. And, he, and, and then he says this, For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now you've heard this many times, but this, this verse says it in a different way. Um, dead people don't sin. Right? They don't. And, and so he says, Just like Jesus suffered in the flesh, likewise arm yourself with the same mind. Think the way he Think the way he did. Think, and by the way, the way we think is going to affect the way we live and what we do. And so Jesus was put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit, brought to life. He was quickened, raised from the dead. Now, when it tells us to arm ourselves with that same mentality, and verse 2 says that he no longer, talking about us, should live the rest of his time in the lust of the flesh, the lust of and uh, in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. He's not talking about our physical death there. He's talking about our spiritual death, about dying to self. That's, why, that's what it takes to not live in the flesh. You've got to die to self. We deal with our flesh every day. And so we're, most of us are aware with the position we have in Christ. We're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. We, our old man has been crucified with him. Romans 6 says that we should not, no longer serve sin. And so... So if we're going to live the way that God wants us to live, if we're going to live the rest of our life the way God wants us to, we're going to have to learn what it means to live the crucified life, to die to self. 
And I don't know, you know, it's impossible for me to know where everybody is on this subject. But Paul said, I die daily. It's a daily exercise. You say, well, you can't die every day. Yeah, you can. You can die to yourself. You can, we, can, we can yield our rights to him. We're not to yield our members uh, to sin, in the instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but to yield our members unto God as those that are alive from the dead. We're, and, and that's the only way we're going to live this life we're supposed to live. You, 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 I don't care if you, if you had a, a person that was in full t- full-time Christian service and they just... They stayed in an office and they never got out and they never watched television, never listened to the radio, never, they, they, could, they could live victorious over sin. No, you can't in your, own, in your own effort, in your own life, in your own determination, your own discipline. You cannot live the Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived. You've got to die to self and yield yourself to Him that He can, that he can fill us. We're to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 6, but alive, raised to walk in newness of life. So the first thing is, if we're going to live, how are we going to live the rest of my time to please God and we can't do it in the flesh? And the truth is, I'm fairly confident of this, that a lot of believers, a lot of people who are saved try to live the Christian life in their own energy, in their own ability. And really, sometimes we can kind of forge out a comfortable life that we can maintain. It's a comfort zone we have. But we're still not really yielding ourselves to God and letting God work through our life and walking in the Spirit. So, so number one, we're to live not in the flesh to the lusts of men. But look what he says in verse 2 in the last part. But to the will of God. If we're going to live the rest of our time right, we have to live in the will of God. Right? We have, and by the way, we have to know what God's will is. God has a will. Not just for Pastor Weiss or me or, you know, God has a will for every one of us. He has a will not just for a general will, He has a will for every day. He has a will, and that's why we ought to, Jesus said, pray after this manner, you know, thy will be done on earth that is even in heaven. We ought to be praying, God, show me what your will is. You know, my wife and I prayed this morning. We do this almost every morning. God, we want you to guide us through this day. We need to know what you want us to do, the appointments you want us to make, the opportunities you want us to take. We, we want to live in the will of God. And, and I've been doing this for a while, but I'm just telling you, I need that. I need God's direction. I need God's leadership. And if I need it, I venture to say we all need it. And if we're trusting in our flesh, if we're trusting in our own wisdom, our own decisions about where we're going to go and how we're going to spend our time and how we're going to spend our money, I'm telling you, we're not living the will of God like God wants us to. So how are we going to live the rest? You say, well, that's just the way I've always lived. Well, let's, let's figure out how we're going to live the rest of our life. And we can start thinking about that today. So we're living the will of God. Look in verse 4. I said I want to mention these things. Verse 4. Wherein they, talking about the Gentiles, think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of rights, speaking evil of you. They don't understand why your life has changed so much. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Now, third thing to keep in mind is we're going to give an account to God. That's a really important thing to keep, to keep ready available in your mind. You're thinking, I'm going to answer to God for the way I live this life. 
I believe I'm going to answer to God for the way I preach this sermon. I think I'm going to answer to God for the way I live tomorrow. I think we're going to answer to God for the way we live our lives. That's, I'm not saying we're going to have to pay for our past sins. They're under the blood. But we are going to answer for the way we live our lives, for the glory of God or for self. So we're going to give an account to God. And verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch under prayer. So we're to, be, we're to think soberly. Now I like to laugh. I have fun. I enjoy practical jokes on other people. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we're not serious about the Christian life. This is a serious life. This is, this is the best life there is. But it's not a life given to me to live as I please. It's a life that's been given to me to live as He pleases. So we're to live our lives in the will of God and we're to think soberly awaiting the return of Christ. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch. Be alert. Watch under prayer. We'll live like the end is near. This should be a part of our process of our thinking. You know, quit thinking. Young person and adult as well. Quit thinking that you have all of the rest of your life to make the decision about how you're going to live. That's not good thinking. Be thinking about, I could stand before God tomorrow. And I want to live in a way that would be pleasing to Him. And an interesting thing is in this text, verse 8. And above all things, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. We're to love one another. Talking about believers, Christians, in the, the family of God, the church. We're to have fervent charity among yourselves. We're to love one another intensely. That's God's will. That's God's will for your life and my life and every one of us. That's not a, that's not a haphazard, casual, nonchalant kind of concern. No, it's, it's, it's an impassioned love for one another. You know, love does not condone sin, but love desires for sin to be covered. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And then look in verse 9. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. What are we to do for the rest of my life? What are you and I, according to the Bible, what are we to do with the rest of our life? We're to use hospitality. Now what does that mean? It means you're fond of guests. It means we, we're hospitable toward people. We're to, we're, we, we, need to, we need to make room in our hearts and room in our homes for other people. You say, well, that's just not me. Well, that, it may not be you up till now, but what about the rest of your life? You, when we hear things like this, we can do one of two things. We can either dismiss it and say, that's just not me, or we can get, get our attitude right and say, God, if that's what, if that's what you say, that's what I'm going to be. That's, I, this is the Bible. Are you looking at the Bible? The Bible's the one that said that. I didn't just make this up. We're just looking at the Bible. Look at verse 10. We're talking about how we're to live the rest of our life. And I'm almost finished. As every man hath received the gift. Now, before going any further, which man did it say here? Which man was it? Every man. That means all of us. Every one of us. So this applies to all of us, right? Every man. As every man hath received the gift. Every one of us have been gifted by the Spirit of, by the Spirit of God. We've been given gifts. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same 
one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we're to minister to others exercising our spiritual gifts. Now, I don't know, I can't say, I'm not qualified to say how many people in our church are doing that, but let's just imagine that there's some that aren't. Now, I'm not saying they aren't gifted. They're all, all of us are gifted. But maybe there's somebody that's not using their spiritual gift to minister. You say, well, what should we do? The rest of our life, we need to focus on that because God's the one that said this. So every one of us, you, you, every person in this church, every person that's a member of this body has something to offer in ministry to this body. Isn't that a great thing? Every last one of us, all of us. And I just want you to think about that tonight because we're talking about how are we going to live the rest of our lives. And if you would sit here tonight and say, you know, I have to be honest. I haven't really used hospitality. Or I have to be honest. I haven't really had fervent love for one another. Or I have to be honest. I haven't really been ministering with the spiritual gifts that I have. Well, it's good to acknowledge that. But then we ought to say, God, help me starting right now. I want to start doing. You know, God didn't call us just to live in our comfort zone. God called us to live in the will of God, right? And, and how do we know what the will of God is? It's right here in the book. All we have to do is just read it. The last thing, verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, we ought to speak the truth. We ought to speak it in love. We ought to speak the truth. That's the oracles of God. Let him speak the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. In other words, God gives us the ability, the power, the enablement to minister. If you speak, speak the words of God. If you're ministering, let God work through you in ministering to people. That what? God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To be praised and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, that's the purpose of our life. We want to glorify God. We don't just want to go through life doing what's easy. And, and thank God for people that come to church faithfully. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. But, but, but there's more to the Christian life than just coming to church. Coming to church is learning the Bible, learning what God expects of us and ministering to one another and being able to speak the truth and all for the glory of God. If God is not glorified in it, then that's the, we've missed the whole point, the primary point. God, God wants to get glory out of our life. That's our chief aim. Not just as a preacher or as a deacon, or as a, but all of us. Our, we, want, we want God to be glorified in our lives. So, so Peter teaches us to look at our life and sort of dissect our life between our past life and our future life. And how we lived our past life and how we should live our future life. We need to put our past behind us. If you're, if you're living troubled, always troubled about the past, something's not right about that. God has something better for you than that. Put their past behind us. Maybe, maybe you need to make something right with someone to do that. And then we're to die daily and walk in the new life that we have in Christ, living in the will of God. And this is how he wants us to live the rest of our life. So I asked the question, and what if you knew, what if you knew you would stand before God 
in the very near future, would anything change? I would, I tell you, I would be thinking about it. Would my priorities change? You know, this afternoon, this evening, as I was getting ready to come to church, I remembered an exercise that we had here in our church, a little event we had. I don't know what to call it. I had to look back to my records. It was 1986. Where were you girls at in 1986? (laughs) But I had this thought. Kim will remember it. Dave might remember it. I had this thought. What, what, what if we only knew we had two days left to live? What would you do? How would you live those two days? And so I developed a kind of a, a theme, a campaign, and I announced it ahead of time, and I said, this is what we're going to do. Beginning on a Friday evening at 8 o'clock, we're going to call it the last 48 hours, starting Friday evening at 8 o'clock until Sunday evening at 8 o'clock. And let's all think in our minds about what... If I only had 48 hours left, what would I do? Now, I, I realize some people didn't, they just thought that's another silly idea that preacher had. But I tell you, it was, it was kind of eye-opening for me. And a bunch of us met in the church over there, the building over there. At 8 o'clock on Friday night, that's when we started. We had a long prayer meeting. And... Uh, I don't remember much about Friday night, but I know all day Saturday we just did evangelism all day. We'd go see our family, but we'd mainly see, hit the streets, see people. You can see people in this town any time of the night. You can see people, they're out and about doing things they shouldn't do. And I, I remember some of us, we never even went to sleep on Saturday night. We was out all night. Either we were here praying or out evangelizing all night. You say, why? Because in my mind, I was, I can. I just, I just t- let my mind focus on what would I do if I only had 48 hours to live? How would I live? And I'm telling you, you, you can believe this or not, but I believe if you knew you had 48 hours to live, you'd probably do a lot of things differently than you do today. I didn't tell the people Jesus was coming back. <laughs> but I've never, I've never gotten over that. It was just kind of a reminder that time is a gift from God. And I'm convinced that God wants us to be good stewards of the time he's given us. And we don't have to live the future like we've lived in the past.